Hello, welcome to The Wire, where you can get independent coverage of current affairs on your local community radio station, wherever you are, right around Australia. I'm Roderick Chambers in Sydney, and coming up on The Wire today... But Trump decided to show up in the courtroom in Washington as a political campaign tool to show that he is being prosecuted by the radical Democrats and Joe Biden. The Iowa caucuses are coming up on Tuesday in the US, and all candidates have been campaigning hard, except for Donald Trump. He was in the Court of Appeal, and we find out why. Also coming up on The Wire... Tinnitus is unusually not a sign of a serious health problem, but it can be very bothersome. And in Australia, this is approximately 15% of the population who is experiencing tinnitus. We take a look at a new app which promises to help those suffering from tinnitus in Australia. Stay tuned for all of this and more coming up on The Wire. As the floods in Victoria start to ease, fresh concern arose overnight over the projected downstream flooding on the Goulburn River. Parts of Shepparton and other towns could have been inundated. And I asked the editor of the Shepparton News, Tyler Maher, just how much rain they had been getting in the Goulburn Valley. We got a significant amount of rain, um, especially over Christmas and then January 2nd, I think, was, was one of the larger dumps. But Certainly not as much as some of the, the areas upstream and, and in different parts of the state. Uh, it seemed to, some of the main um, rain seemed to went, go around us, but I, I think one of the days, it might have been the second, we were predicted to have about 20 mil and it ended up about 80, so that, that was a, a significant um, sort of downpour. Just generally speaking, uh, if, if you go out into some of the rural areas, that, that you can really tell, I suppose, that everything's very sodden and saturated. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of water on the ground. Um, you know, it's very green for for this time of year. Uh, yeah, a lot of the the channels and and, and side parts of roads have, have been um, full of water over the last couple of weeks, especially. And um, yeah, and obviously uh, over the past week or so, the, the rivers have become to uh, to rise along with that as well. We've heard a bit about the Campaspe River, but you're on the Goulburn, and th- that was predicted to be getting to pretty high levels around the Shepparton region. How's it looking at the moment? Oh, well, uh, today uh, being Thursday, it's um, it's lots of positive news this morning. Um, the initial projections were for potential major flooding at the lower end um, at about 11.1 uh, metres in the Golden River at Shepparton, which is still a full metre or so less than the October 2022 floods here. Last night it was reduced to potentially 10.7, which is in the major scale, uh, sorry, in the moderate scale, and this morning it was reduced to 10.4, which is just under the moderate scale and, and just at the sort of top end of, of minor flooding. So it's been um, positive news this morning uh, for Shepparton, Marutna, Kyala, but not only the, those towns, but the, the outer-lying towns um, of Greater Shepparton and, and the Golden Valley as well. So what, what happened in the 2022 floods? Were you pretty much affected in that event as well? Yeah, certainly. O- October 2022 was... Um, yeah, 
lots of flooding, uh, lots of major flooding, and it hung around for, for ages as well. So um, there were this time around, it, it has felt like um, everyone's, you know, the community and officials and organisations, we sort of understand what to expect. And, and even us here in the newsroom of, of what people want to see, the, the key um, parts of the rivers that people recognise, uh, those sort of things. It feels like this time around, we've been a bit more prepared for, for what could happen. Um, and obviously, thankfully, and luckily, you know, that hasn't eventuated. Um, but it, it sort of feels like, yeah, we've we've been through this before at a much higher scale. So um, this time around, did feel a bit more um, in control and and in hand. Are some people still trying to recover from the the past floods in terms of you know I don't know businesses, agriculture, that sort of thing? Yeah, certainly. And and there's still a, a quite a number of um, uninhabited houses. Um, and you would have seen that with and heard that with the Seymour figures as well. There were um, you know a dozen or so. Properties or houses or businesses affected, but half of those were still uninhabited from October 2022. Um, and in, in Shepparton and the surrounding areas this time around, uh, there was no risk of uh, overflow flooding for, for most of this week. That was the messaging and, and that's been confirmed sort of over the last 24 hours as well. But um, around the, the Goulburn in Marutna and um, some parts of Shepparton as well, there, there are still houses that are uninhabited or still rebuilding and, and still haven't quite got back on their feet yet. And, and with that rebuilding and so forth, are they looking at uh, changing the way that the, the buildings are, are to make them more floodproof, you know, make, maybe having them higher up off the ground or, or uh, in a slightly different uh, place or I don't know, but is, are people talking about those sorts of measures? Yeah, and it was a, um, a pretty big discussion point, uh, you know, in the months, weeks and months after October 2022. And there are some um, sort of clear examples. Uh, for example, in the Ngambi Lakes Caravan Park, the cabins that flooded last time didn't flood this time because they they were built, um, you know, significantly higher off the ground um, when they were rebuilt. And uh, there, there were those sort of discussions, but it, it very much... Uh, I feel it was a case by case basis with properties, um, etc. Because uh, uh, you know, obviously, new houses that are built are, are always built um, above whatever the the one in one hundred year flood line is. So, um, and I think that was a lot of the messaging that a lot of the new estates um, around Shepparton and and Kyala and Rupna in October twenty twenty two didn't see um, too much overflow flooding, but obviously they're they're rivers, the, the streets became rivers and, and canals almost, uh, which is by design. All right. Well, so it's not looking too bad for you guys at the moment. Uh, things have been revised downwards. Uh, so I suppose everyone's breathing a sigh of relief, are they? Yeah, this morning it, it feels like a bit of that um, sigh of relief. You, you never know, and especially in, in Shepparton. Um, and here at the Shepparton News, we're part of the wider McPherson Media Group. So uh, our coverage sort of begins right at the, the top of the Goulburn and in through Seymour and, and out through to us. So it's a, a bit of a waiting game sometimes um, down here in Shepparton and, and certainly further downstream from us as well. But, um, yeah, it, it's certainly been a, a positive morning in terms of the projections um, and the community spirit. Tyler Ma, editor of the Shepparton News, speaking with me there. One in five Australians will experience mental health issues with loneliness being a strong factor. There are hopes for generative AI applications like Replica to ease these concerns. 
However, the question looms whether the AI can actually assist with loneliness. James Montemayor has this report. It is reported one in three people experience loneliness in Australia. To fill this void, some have sought the company of virtual friends. With language model AI applications like Replica, Snapchat's virtual friend and ChatGBT, Professor Michael Cowling from Central Queensland University says the answer is quite nuanced. Once you start to get to a tool that has the ability to be creative and be conversational, I think it's an obvious question for us very quickly to say, okay, Given that this tool is conversational and it's creative, can people make friends with it? Can people use it for support? And the answer is actually a little bit complicated. The answer from the work that we did, the research that we did, is that it it is good for support. You can have a conversation with it. You feel like you're talking to somebody who's listening to you, but ultimately um, the level of belonging that you get, the way that it cancels out your loneliness is not as good as talking to a real human being. So you get that support in the moment, but maybe not necessarily long-term, that sense of belonging. However, PhD candidate Indra McKee said that the effect, negative effects of AI can possibly be displaced. There's definitely a big focus on what we call social AI, which is AI that is kind of human presenting um, and speaks and talks like a human. So that's your chat GPT, uh, which is a large language model type of chatbot. But there's also types of AI. Like, for example, there's these um, AI that are used in big decision making where their decisions could ultimately maybe create some job losses, and, but it had a massive impact on people's mental health and well-being. McKee noted that the loneliness could possibly come from automating interactions within households. It's not just one person using the device. It's their whole family interacting with this talking computer in the middle of their lounge room or the middle of their kitchen. So I've definitely observed some differences in relationships between children and parents, um, um, roommates, partners, where sometimes... um, you know, negatively, maybe we are automating some aspects of our lives where maybe we would invited other people or had other people to help us. However, Cowling said there is concerns over use of AI for emotional support. Look, I think there is a concern and I think the concern is borne out with our previous use of technology as well. There's been lots of uh, commentary over the years about people getting addicted to technology and feeling that they that technology has given them everything that they need. And tech addiction is a thing. I'm a technology apologist, but even I recognise that technology addiction can can be a problem for people. And so when we talk about the ability to talk to a machine, if you're getting that level of support that you need, do we fall into a situation where you become dependent on the machine, dependent on the machine to support you in lieu of those real conversations? And that, I think, is a genuine concern that we haven't quite worked out yet, but is something that we might think about as people start to talk to these large language models, these chat GPT style things more. The technological development is inevitable, but Cowling said that we should find ways to limit the responses of language model AI. 
There definitely is. And in fact, this is something that they had to do in the early days of large language models. When they first started building these kinds of models, people would approach these models and they would ask them questions. And as human beings sometimes do, ask questions that got the system off in a strange direction. And so there were reports from the early days of these large language models of the, of the tool coming back and telling somebody that they love them. And that it, that please never leave me, otherwise I'll I'll do things right and 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 uh, concerning reports. And so what they did is they started to put rails on these systems. They started to say if people talk about this or they talk about that, then just come back and say, look, not I'm not going to talk to you about those particular things. And so I think as we understand more about how people converse with these particular tools, I think there is the capacity for us to put those limits and those walls so that it becomes a supporting tool without being something that people necessarily become dependent on. Michael Cowling from Central Queensland University, ending that report from James Montemayor. Hey there, we're the Warren Miller Band and you're listening to The Wire on community and Indigenous radio across Australia. As the Iowa Presidential Caucus's vote looms for next Tuesday, apart from Chris Christie, who pulled out of the race today, most Republican candidates are crisscrossing the state to bolster their chances. Except for Donald Trump. He's in the Court of Appeal where he's seeking immunity from prosecution for the attack on the Capitol he caused on January 6, 2021. And I asked the US Studies Centre Bruce Wolpe whether this could affect his vote in Iowa. Trump uses these uh, legal prosecutions against him as a campaign asset and tool. And uh, and he did go from uh, the courtroom to Iowa, and he will try to get there over the weekend. The caucuses are Tuesday our time. Uh, the weather is supposed to be really bad, really cold, like uh, below zero Fahrenheit and snow. So turnout becomes an issue on what is an extended process. People go to living rooms in hundreds of homes across the state to meet for several hours, make votes, and have those votes counted and tabulated. So it is really quite a complicated process. But Trump decided to show up in the courtroom in Washington as a political campaign tool to show that he is being prosecuted by the radical Democrats and Joe Biden. And he wants to his army believes that his base believes that and he wants to give evidence that that is ongoing. Now, the the hearing in Washington was um, important. Well, there are two other things to remember about Trump and legal processes. One, he wants to delay these trials as much as possible. And the hearing on whether he can be prosecuted or whether he has immunity has to do with what he raised before the court in Washington on the trial due to begin in March. Did Trump criminally try to overturn the election? So he wants to delay that as much as possible. And that's what he's done throughout his life. If you look at all the litigation of Trump, that delay you know, punishes his enemies and the people out to get him. And and, and uh, the and the immunity he's wanting is because he was president at the time, and therefore the decisions he made shouldn't have been well, challenged. He, that that's sort a, of what he's saying. He he's asserting something that no president has asserted, for living or former or dead, and that is that um a, that he is completely immune for any act that he committed as president. And um, this was again he raised this to halt the trial in Washington in March. And the, the other thing he also wants is he doesn't want any verdict in any of these trials that goes against him before the election. He does not want to face the American people as a convicted felon. 
because and what he's asserted. So how how much of an effect would it have on his voter base if if he was a convicted felon? Would that be a, would a line with it, that people wouldn't he, cross? He he has forty percent of Republicans. Forty percent of Republicans are his base. He appeals to seventy percent of Republicans, and some of that thirty percent that that right now Biden Trump they vote with Trump, but that could give them a conviction could give a a good chunk of those. Uh, pause as to whether to vote for him, and that could really affect the outcome of the election. So, anyway, so he's, he's he, really concerned about that. That that he is be, really concerned yeah. about that. He doesn't want to. Be, he does not want to face the American people as a convicted felon. Now, the the argument. I listened to the arguments today. I'm such a sick person, and uh, the <laughs> arguments, the arguments that uh, that were made was by his lawyers. If if any president. And certainly President Trump cannot be held criminally accountable for his actions unless he has been convicted, uh, impeached and convicted by the Senate and removed from office. And no one has heard anything like this before. And so the judges were saying, you mean to tell uh, tell me that if President Trump ordered a drone strike on a political opponent and killed him or her, that he could not be prosecuted for that unless he was impeached and convicted? And the answer was yes. Yeah, I mean, so, he, he did say at one stage <laughs> that, you know, he could shoot someone in the street in New York and no one would do anything. And well, that's exactly what he's saying, isn't it? That's it. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, the reading of every legal expert that I've seen today is that he's going to lose 3-0 on this because it's outrageous. And uh, and then Trump has two avenues. He can, he can ask all the judges, do you agree with this decision or not? Do you want to hear arguments? But and or he can go to the Supreme Court and say, uh, I appeal, reverse it. And the Supreme Court could say, first, the the judges today said it's going to be on an expedited basis. I would expect we'll have a decision within a week or 10 days. And uh, and the Supreme Court, I think, similarly could act under um, uh, uh, put it on a fast track. And that's important because this trial in Washington, did he try to criminally overturn the election, is scheduled for March 4th. And if if it's delayed a month or two months, well, that's April, May, June. There's still plenty of time to have a trial conducted and concluded before the election. But that's what's at stake in these deliberations. Bruce Wolpe, Senior Fellow at the U.S. Studies Centre at the University of Sydney and speaking with me there. Hi, I'm Ray Martin. You're listening to The Wire on community and Indigenous radio right across Australia. Stay well. Tinnitus is a hearing condition where a person constantly hears a sound that's not being produced. 15% of Australians are suffering from this condition. Researchers from Auckland and Sydney universities developed an app to reduce tinnitus. They found considerable reduction of the sound with the assistance of a cognitive psychologist. Eduardo Jordan asked founder of Mind Ear and lead researcher at the University of Auckland, Dr Fabrice Bardi, how he describes it. Tinnitus is a condition which is characterized by the perception of noise or a ringing in the ear where there is no external sound present. It can manifest as a ringing, as a buzzing, as a hissing, wishing. There's a, a lot of different ways people are expressing or describing the sound. It can be intermittent or continuous. It's often an underlying condition, such as age-related hearing loss or ear injury or a circulatory system disorder. 
Tinnitus is unusually not a sign of a serious health problem, but it can be very bothersome. And in Australia, to give you uh, an idea about it represents, there is currently there's approximately 15% of the population who is experiencing tinnitus, which means that if you are like in a room, there is probably going to be someone who has tinnitus. Fabrice, what are the treatments available for tinnitus? If we think about tinnitus, we often think about the sound itself. And we can think about the hearing organs. In the majority of cases, like it can be a hearing loss or hearing damage of the ear organ, which can be associated with a tinnitus. And in certain cases, you can benefit from, for example, some hearing rehabilitation via hearing aids, or it could be another device. However, interestingly, tinnitus is often more than just the hearing problem, and it can be linked to some stress, some anxiety. And in this case, what is really important, what we saw from a research perspective is like some psychological support can be extremely important. It's so far techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, relaxation, the treatment option which provides the most benefits for people who have tinnitus. So um, could you please tell us a little bit more about the peer-reviewed research you led about this application, Training the Brain to Overcome Tinnitus? The starting goal with uh, with this clinical trial was to test the feasibility of using an app to provide uh, this support, which is currently difficult to access. So what we developed, a digital program, which can be accessible on your phone. You can just download an app which is going to be asking you some question about your needs and especially if like the area where you are currently experiencing issues. It can be sleep, it can be hearing, it can be stress and so on. And uh, the app is going to provide you access to some modules which will help you to change the reaction that you can have to your tinnitus. There's a lot of technique and strategies that you can basically learn to manage the tinnitus better. And what it means is that we can uh, train the brain to tune out the tinnitus by changing our thoughts, often by changing the way we think about the condition. So during these clinical studies at uh, the University of Auckland, we recruited 30 participants and where we had two arms. The first arm was receiving only the digital therapy. And we had a second arm, which was getting a combination of like digital treatment plus online psychology. And this group was receiving 30 minutes of online consultation with a psychologist every second week. What we found is that after 16 weeks of treatment, two-thirds of the participants had a clinically significant decrease in their tinnitus distress. After eight weeks, if we look at the result after eight weeks of treatment, the group who had access to clinical psychology, we had two out of three people already had a clinically significant decrease of their tinnitus distress. How did your team come up with the idea of creating an app as a support aid for people with tinnitus. I mean, it blows my mind that just a simple app can transform a life like this. Yeah, uh, so I was probably personally touched by tinnitus. My dad fell from a tree in 2006, experienced an uh, head trauma and started to experience like a distressing tinnitus. At this point in time, I was a clinician and my dad did not have like a hearing loss because of the head trauma. So interestingly, I felt that I did not have the tool at the time to basically help him. 
And at this time, I saw that it was like the possibility to develop a tool that could be widely available, that provide trusted information. I met my co-founder, Dr. Mathieu Recunia, at the Australian Earring Hub in Sydney. And, and we saw the opportunity to leverage technology to develop a platform that could really provide support to teenage patients at scale. Lead researcher from the University of Auckland and founder of Mind Ear, Dr. Fabrice Bardi, speaking there with Eduardo Jordan. And that's it for The Wire today. You can find all of our stories online at thewire.org.au or subscribe to our podcasts. Just look for The Wire Radio. Today's program came from the studios of Radio 2 SER 107.3 here in Sydney and broadcast around the nation on the community radio network. In Sydney, The Wire is produced on Gadigal country of the Eora Nation and with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We're going to be back again tomorrow, so do tune in again then. I'm Roderick Chambers. Do stay well and thanks for your company. Music.